Uh, amen. Thank you, our brother Sam, for that wonderful prayer, and also our brother Terry for leading us into praise. And it really just seems to resonate so well with the theme of today's message, which is going to be based on Psalm 22. So if you've been with us for the past month or so, we, are, we began a sermon series on the Psalms. And I think it's very fitting because Psalms are just loaded with so many different types of emotions, a lot of conflict, tension that we're experiencing. But through it all, we recognize that really the purpose in life and the solution to all of it is to get our eyes off of ourselves and to look to God, to worship Him, to be reminded of the amazing sacrifice that He demonstrated through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. So today we're focusing on Psalm 22, and the title of the message is, Jesus was forsaken so that we can be worshipful. So like I mentioned before, every psalm, really every passage, and if you think about it, everything in life, it all points to Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 22, which is the focus of today's sermon, is no exception. It's not so much about David. It's not so much about Israel. It's not so much about you or me, but it's really about what happened to Jesus and ultimately, Jesus was forsaken so that we can be worshipful. Now, for some of us, we may have heard the idea that Jesus has been forsaken on our behalf. We sang about it even just a few minutes ago. But some of the titles that I was thinking about, and if we can take a look at some of these um, other titles, is so that Jesus, Jesus was forsaken so that we can be forgiven. And if you've been part of us, we focus on this a lot. And there are a lot of passages that emphasize the fact that Jesus has been forsaken so that we can be forgiven and reunited with God. And again, we just sang about that. That is true. We should praise God. But that really isn't the full story, nor is it really the focal point of Psalm 22. Some of us, we may be thinking Jesus was forsaken so that we can be comforted. And again, we talked about this, and this is also true. You can see this in other passages in the Bible. It's a glorious thing. It's a blessing that Jesus took our place being abandoned on our behalf so that ultimately we can be comforted. But again, that's not the full story, and that's really not the focal point of Psalm 22. The focal point of Psalm 22 and truly the heart of the gospel is Jesus was forsaken, not simply so that we can be forgiven, which is true, not simply so that we can be comforted in love, which are again, very true, but so that we can actually be worshipful. Regardless of the situations, regardless of the highs and the lows, we can actually have a heart that is exuding joy, peace, confidence, trust, because we are worshiping our God, just like our brother Sam just prayed, Yes, in this world, there's a lot of turmoil, but through the word and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that nonetheless, God is trustworthy. So we're going to unpack all of this in Psalm 22. And like, we, like what we do all the time is if you have any questions or prayers, please feel free to text these away. The phone number is going to be on every single, is going to be on throughout the stream. So if there are any prayer requests that you have, if there are any prayers that you want to utter on your behalf or on the community's behalf or on the behalf of the world, or if you have any questions about the sermon, then please text these away. They're completely anonymous. And honestly speaking, this has been one of the highlights of our worship services, allowing us to be much more engaging and relational and therefore much more pleasing and glorifying to God. So please take advantage of this. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll jump right into Psalm 22. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is so true, so timely. It's really uncanny 
that throughout this year, 2020, through all the ups and downs, your Bible, your word has been so relevant. Every phase of 2020, from a personal level, from a global level, thank you so much. And we pray that your word would truly convict our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we surrender the next 30 minutes or so into your hands. And may we not just understand more closely what David experienced or what your people Israel experienced or what we ourselves are experiencing. But ultimately, may this message in Psalm 22 point us to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one, he is the only one who has been forsaken. He is the only one who has been abandoned. And not only so that we can be forgiven, comforted, and loved, but so that we can be worshipful regardless of what the situations are. So please sear these truths into our hearts to the point where it makes a difference in the ways that we live our everyday lives. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, if you have been a Christian or even if you're not a Christian, one of the things that we experience time and time again is the idea that God just feels so distant from us. Uh, we see this in the Psalms. We see this in the Bible reading plan. But even in my own life, and as I've been connecting with some of you, there are many seasons, and it seems like these seasons are too frequent and these seasons are too long, where it really feels like God is just so distant. Where the intimacy that we once experienced just feels like a foreign concept. When we pray, it feels like we are praying to a brick wall. When we are seeking after God, it feels like nothing is being reciprocated. And it's difficult. And again, this is part of Christian life. And again, even if you're not a Christian, you probably felt seasons of emptiness, loneliness, or whatever. And this is part of the ebbs and flow of just life in general. And especially as a Christian, I think one of the really difficult things is experiencing this feeling and these thoughts that dominate you. Feeling like God is distant, but knowing in your mind and intellectually and in your head that God is near, that God is trustworthy, but at the same time, everything that you're experiencing externally and internally make you feel like God is not there. And that tension is really difficult to struggle through. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about our community is just how open people are. So as I've been connecting with people, uh, just on a one-on-one -on -one basis and even through our drop-ins and our small group format, uh, I'm just really thankful of how open people are. And yeah, from some of you guys, you've been sharing, yeah, like something about this season. I don't know if it's quite the pandemic. I don't know if it's quite the injustices against the black community and all these things that we're experiencing, but something about what I'm experiencing right now, I just feel like God is just so distant and foreign. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, as your pastor, I can fully relate with this. As much as this pandemic, this season, has been truly one breakthrough after another in my life and in the lives of many people in our community, and some of us testified this during our anniversary service last week, I'll be honest, over the past three to four weeks, it's been probably one of the lowest points in my life. Uh, as many of you know, I'm part of a PhD program, so I'm in my fourth year. And man, it's been really stressful. Uh, I love my PhD research. I love it. Over the past four years, I've been spending at least 12 hours a day doing research. I mean, think about that. For the past four years, six days a week, no, basically very few breaks in between, 
I've been spending at least 12 hours a day, probably more. I don't want to give you an accurate count because it might seem a little excessive. But recently, I've been told by my committee that I basically need to start all over. And it's really deflating because when I was talking to my supervisor maybe a couple months ago, he said everything looks fine. We just need a formality to go through. And then all of a sudden, I get an email saying that I basically need to start over. All the hours of research that I just mentioned, I might have to think of something new. Um, I only have a year left of my funding, so at this point, it's very difficult. So I've been really stressed, very discouraged, very frustrated. And one of the difficult things about this is, in my mind, especially as a pastor, I read the same Bible that all of you guys read. I know God is trustworthy. I know God is in control. I know God loves me. As I've been preaching from my own lips, I know God uses any and everything to conform us to become more like his son, Jesus. But when I experience this type of discouragement, I'll be honest, it is difficult. It's really hard. I can completely empathize with some of us who just feel so lost. And not only can I empathize with it, but more importantly, God can empathize with it because as we see in Psalm 22, this is God's word. We see Psalm 22 written by David, one of the heroes of our faith. And he experiences this same type of vulnerability, this same type of fragility. So let's take a look at it from his perspective, from his words. And I'm sure all of us can 100% resonate with the fragility that he is experiencing. I mean, first he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David cries out before God. God, it feels like you have truly forsaken me. I know in my mind that you are supposed to be with me, but when I think about the circumstances, when I think about what's going on in my heart, the only conclusion I can reach, you, forsake, you forsook me. Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Have we never experienced this? Again, this is David, a hero of our faith. This is the word of God. God intentionally put this prayer in his word so that he can resonate, empathize with us. That there are seasons where we feel like God has forsaken us. There are seasons, and again, they are too frequent and they are too long from our perspective, where it feels like God does not answer. It's not because you're abnormal. It's not because you are a subpar Christian. This is part of Christian life. But like I mentioned, there's that tension because David recognizes, although he feels like he's been forsaken, he understands, yet you're holy. Yet you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. In our fathers, they trusted you and you delivered them. David knows intellectually, theologically, in his mind, although I feel forsaken, I know that God is nonetheless holy. Although I feel like God is not delivering me, I know Time and time again, he has delivered his people. I know that those who trusted in God were never put to shame. He knows this intellectually. And he's going back and forth because look, those are verses 3 to 5. Look at verses 6 to 8. Even though he knows this theologically, he says, But I am a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by humankind and despised by people. People are persecuting David. They try to mock him. They make mouths at him. They wag their heads at David. And you're going to notice, I'm going to underline some of these, uh, these phrases. 
Keep a note of the things that I've underlined because all of this will converge later. David knows that those who trust in the Lord, he hears people mock him, saying those who trust in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. And basically verse 8 is a quote. It is almost like a, a, an insult. People are looking at David and they're saying, you trust in God? Look at your life. It is miserable. It is falling out of control. If you want to continue to trust in God, so be it. But I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wag my head at you. I'm going to mouth at you. I'm going to basically mock you. Because given your situation, given your circumstances, it doesn't look like God would deliver you. It looks like God has forsaken you. And do we not resonate with this? Whether it's actual haters who are persecuting us, which is probably unlikely, or whether it is the voices in our minds, or maybe it's the influence that Satan is trying to discourage us, where you think you can trust in God? You think God is going to deliver you? You are nothing but a worm. Who do you think you are that a God so holy cares about you? And we feel mocked. We feel like there is that whisper. Oh, you're going to trust in God? Let's see how that turns out. Let's see how that's going to fare for you. And again, David is caught in this tension. Again, a hero of faith. And again, the very next verses, 9 to 11. Again, he's going back and forth. Experiencing his feelings, his thoughts are discouraging him. But at the end of the day, he knows. But yet, you are the one who took me from the womb. God, you are the one who knew me ever since I was in my mother's womb. On you was I cast from my birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. You have been faithful since the very beginning. And David, like many of us, and even as I'm experiencing this right now, we are caught in this pickle. We're on the one hand, theologically, intellectually, we hear it week after week, drop-in after drop-in, Bible reading after Bible reading. God is good. He is trustworthy. But on the other hand, when we think about our circumstances, when we think about what's going in on our hearts, the thoughts that are dominating our minds, God has forsaken me. I don't remember the last time I heard the still small whisper of God. Every day I cry out to no avail. Can I really trust in God through something like this? Wouldn't it be better for me to just drown these sorrows and just sweep them under the rug and just busy myself and just live my life my own way? And if you are experiencing that, brothers and sisters, please, there is hope. Because like I mentioned a few times already, David, one of the heroes of faith, the word of God, this prayer was intentionally included in God's word. Because God wants to tell you right now, He understands. He's with you. He empathizes with you. Moreover, man, when you go through this storm, and right now I'm experiencing it, so please pray for me. If you have any prayer requests, I would love to pray for you as well. It's not so much that there's this tension where theologically, intellectually, we know that we should do this, but everything else in our being is making us stray away. It's not just that. But the discouragement and the sources of, of um, 
feeling um, like a lack of hope is just so manifold. It's not just what's going on in our hearts, but externally, whether it's your job situation, whether it's relationships, everything seems to be crumbling apart. And we see even David experiencing this as well. So let's take a look at this. Again, we're just reading through the Psalm 22, verse 12. He says, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. And this isn't David. He's not in like some rodeo. Um, he's not running the bulls. He's not in some wild safari life. No, no, this is a metaphor. He's not talking about animals per se, but he's talking about all of his haters, all of the persecutors, his enemies, his, his adversaries. They open wide their mouths like a ravening, a ravening and roaring lion. And what David is saying is not only do I feel discouraged, but externally, there are people who are hell-bent towards making my life miserable. There are people who are truly being a hindrance to me being able to focus on the goodness of God. Again, I'm sure many of us can relate. He's talking about external struggles. Not only does he talk about external struggles, but verses 14 and 15, he talks about internal struggles. I am being poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. David is not talking about arthritis. Again, this is poetic, metaphorical imagery. He's saying internally, it's not just externally, but internally, my heart is like wax. Again, he's not going through a heart attack, but it's internal. His very spirit, and that's why he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the death, dust of death. What David is basically saying is not only externally are those bulls and those lions encircling me, surrounding me, but internally, I feel so unmotivated. My heart feels so callous. I feel so apathetic. I feel like there's no strength. There's no motivation. How can I continue to press on and persevere when my heart feels like wax, when my bones feel like they are out of joint? And again, Verses 16 to 18, again, he talks about external circumstances again. The dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. I can count on my bones. They stare and they gloat at me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I underlined that for a reason. They stare and gloat over me. I underlined that for a reason. We're gonna, it, it's going to make sense momentarily. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. David is basically saying, I am experiencing all sorts of discouragement, not just externally, not just what's happening at work, not just what's happening in my family relationships, not just what's happening in my finances, but internally, I feel like I can't go on. I can't place my eyes on God's promises. I feel like there's nothing left within me. I feel callous. I feel apathetic. I feel whatever. And let me tell, reinforce this. I know I sound like a broken record. This isn't just some Joe Schmo writing this psalm who is just over dramatic and who is into Korean drama, so he likes to make things just very whatever. This is David, the guy who slayed Goliath, the guy who killed thousands of Philistines, the man after God's own heart. And once again, this is included in God's precious eternal word. Because God is saying, you feel this way? You feel like externally your life is in haywire. You feel like internally you feel a lack of motivation. 
Guess what? Our God understands. He empathizes with you. He has not forsaken you. You know, it's interesting because in this song, 22, where David cries out, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? David knows that that is not the reality. And even the underlying words, how they divide my garments among them, from my clothing they cast lots, that's all an, an exaggeration. David didn't really literally experience this. In other words, David was never forsaken by God. You have never been forsaken by God. Me, even right now, as I don't know what's going to happen. Like I mentioned with the PhD program, I have no idea. And I'm still working my tail off. I don't know. Next week, everything can just come to a crashing halt. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that God has not forsaken me. I know that. It's a promise. God has never forsaken his people, his people Israel, through all the historical epochs, from every era to era. God has always been faithful. Every prayer that you utter in the name of Jesus, God has answered. Maybe a yes, maybe a no, it may be a wait, but God has answered. None of our prayers that have been prayed by the authority of Jesus have they fallen on deaf ears. God has never forsaken any one of us. His track record is flawless. However, as flawless as God's track record is, there is one person among God's people who did cry out and this one person experienced being utterly forsaken by God. There is one person who sought after God and prayed and his prayer actually fell on deaf ears. There is one instance in the history of humankind, only one instance, only one exception, where somebody was truly abandoned by God. It's not David, it's not you, it's not me. It is Jesus Christ. And all the underlying phrases that we saw, all of them, we see in the Gospels, in the New Testament, the Gospel writers, they say, do you know who Psalm 22 is ultimately about? It's not ultimately about David. It's not even ultimately about you or me or the people of Israel. It's ultimately about how Jesus was literally and utterly forsaken. And we're not going to go through all of it, but if you don't believe me, let me just highlight a few excerpts from the Gospel of Matthew. Again, remember all the things that we underline. This is Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, if you want to look it up on your own. And when they had crucified Jesus, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. That's straight out of Psalm 22. The gospel writer is basically saying to all of us, this is God's word. God's word is saying to all of us, Psalm 22? Yes, David experienced it. He experienced the feeling of being forsaken, but he truly wasn't forsaken. 
Same with us. We may feel like we're forsaken, but none of us have truly been forsaken. But Psalm 22 points to Jesus. He is the one who literally, his garments were divided. David says about, writes about that in verse 18, but it's metaphorical. He's exaggerating. He's thinking this would never actually happen to David, but this actually happened to Jesus. And those who passed by derided Jesus, what? Wagging their heads. These are uncommon phrases that are all jam-packed in this one chapter in Matthew 27. To signal to all of us, Psalm 22 was actually fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So also the chief priests and the, with the scribes and elders, they mocked Jesus saying, quote, he trusts in God? Let God deliver him now if he desires him. This is again, straight out of Psalm 22. For Jesus said, I am the son of God. If you think you're the son of God, let's see you be delivered by God. Jesus is experiencing the tension of everything that we also resonate with. The same tension that we are currently experiencing what we've experienced in the past that I'm currently experiencing. I'll put myself out there. God, I know you say you're faithful, but at the same time, look at my circumstances. Look at my situation. Even my own heart, I feel so unmotivated. Jesus is experiencing this in Matthew 27. The idea of circumstances, not just externally, but internally, everything, the tension, man, it is absolutely real for Jesus. It continues. Now from the sixth hour, there is darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This is basically Jesus. At this point, he is hanging on the cross on the sixth hour going into his ninth hour. And for those of us who don't really know what the cross experience is like, you're basically hung on a cross like this, naked, bleeding profusely because he's been flogged. The only thing that's hanging him on the cross is the nails through his wrists and through his feet. And the way people die is through suffocation because they can't breathe because their lungs are being collapsed. And every time he tries to arch his back to take a breath, his back that has been open, his flesh has been open through the scourging, it scrapes against the splinters of that old rugged cross. I mean, the wood is not polished. It's not sanded. It's openly splintered in order to make this a public humiliation. And as he has been hanging on this for hours on end, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, with the little energy, the little physical capability that he has left. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And in Hebrew, it means, guess what? My God, my God. Again, straight out of Psalm 22.1. Why have you forsaken me? And let me tell you, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lived a righteous life. He lived a pure life. If anybody should have had a deliverance from God, Jesus is the only one, only one in all of human history who deserves that deliverance. Only one. But yet he is the only one in human history where when he prayed this, not only did it fall on deaf ears, but God the Father had to turn his back against him. He was utterly forsaken. And for those of you who may feel wondering, why? 
What is this? If he is the one who lived perfectly, and he's the only one who deserves deliverance, but he's the only one who experienced forsakenness, why is that? And it's because we cannot approach God on our own. We are sinful. We are evil. We are selfish. We are self-centered. Whatever. We see this in 2020. It's so clear. Human. Just all of us. We are sinners. And not only that, we are just so, we are God's creation. Why would a God who is almighty, who is so holy, tolerate us, let alone love us, because of all of our sin? There is this gap between this holy, pure, amazing, glorious God and us who are finite and who are at the same time sinful and rebellious. And Jesus stepped into this gap. And he said, there is this gap. I am going to bridge this gap. I am going to offer up my life so that this gap, this chasm that we just sang about can be bridged through Jesus' death, through him being forsaken so that we can ultimately be reconciled to God. And like I mentioned earlier, that's why If the title of this sermon was Jesus was forsaken so that we can be forgiven, that's true. If the title were Jesus was forsaken so that we can be comforted in love, that is absolutely true. That's what happened. Somebody had to pay the price and the consequences of our sin. And that was Jesus. But, as I mentioned earlier, the title of this sermon is not Jesus was forsaken so that we can be forgiven, comforted, or loved. Because Psalm 22 is a little different. Psalm 22 says that Jesus was forsaken so that we can be worshipful. Let me pause here for a second. Because I'm going to say something that's a little sensitive. I understand that we are living in dire times. I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I use the word pandemic just because it symbolizes so many things. But the news, the media, 2020 has been rough. I talked about the Australian wildfires. I talked about the corruption in politics. I've talked about all, it's not just the pandemic, but all these things really expose that we are living in vulnerable times. And I want to be sensitive to that. But I also want to warn us, especially from a heart of a pastor, is during this time, it seems like our focus is, are we doing okay? Are we functioning? And yes, that's legitimate because this is a very weird lifestyle and we do want to know if people are doing okay and if they're functioning. I do care about that. But the gospel is a little different than that. The gospel isn't about your comfort. It's not about you functioning. It's not about you feeling like you have meaning in life. And you feel happy and joyful. Gospel ultimately is turning sinners into worshipers. The question that we need to be asking ourselves in our private devotions, in our one-on-one catch-up time, in our small group is, how are you being worshipful? It's not, are you being comfortable? It's not, are you functioning? It's not, are you being productive? Are you being worshipful in your life? In your life. Are you praising God? 
And Psalm 22 talks about what it means to worship God. Because again, we're going to continue on in Psalm 22. And this is David continually writing. Before he experiences the deliverances, before he experiences the answered prayer, he writes, you know what? I don't care if God is going to deliver me or not. I'm committed to tell of your name to my siblings. I know it's not the most gender sensitive, but to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I don't care if there are bulls and lions and dogs encompassing me, surrounding me. I don't care of the fact that my heart is like wax. I don't care the fact that my bones are all out of joint. I will still go to the congregation. I will still walk right in and tell everybody that you are a God who is worthy of praise. Because at the end of the day, this life is not about me getting one answered prayer after another and experiencing one cool delivery after another. This life is about worshiping and glorifying God, especially in light of what we just saw. That the one and only person who should have been delivered is the one and only person who was actually forsaken, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. How can we not have our lives focused and dedicated and committed to worshiping God? And worship, as you'll see, is not just, oh, in your own little private quiet time and you're just praising. No, it is communal. It is within a church. It is telling the brothers, telling the sisters, telling those who are afflicted, telling all the nations, all the world. Everybody needs to know about how amazing this God is. This isn't just for extroverts. This is everybody. If you have tasted the gospel, your desire is you want to be worshipful and that involves community. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. This is David. All you, notice, all you, not just some of you, all you offspring of Jacob, Glorify him. Stand in all, all you, everybody, offspring of Israel. Praise God. David is saying, I'm still experiencing heartache. I'm still experiencing all that tension. I myself, let me tell you, I am experiencing probably the lowest point in my life. But I am here to stand before you right now. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what my life is going to turn out. But one thing that I am going to take to the bank is this God deserves our worship. Brothers and sisters, all of you, get your eyes on God. Psalm t- verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. Notice the communal emphasis. My vows I perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Some of us, we feel afflicted. I feel afflicted. And again, I want to be sensitive to our pain. I don't want to... I don't want to discount the fact that our pain is real. But the solution to our pain is not a band-aid. The solution to our pain is not pain medication. The solution to our pain is not even getting rid of that pain. The solution is worshiping God. Praising Him. That those who will seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship this glorious God who is not only holy and enthroned upon the praises of Israel, but is the one who sacrifices one and only son on our behalf. Posterity shall serve him. 
It's not just enough that everybody who's living right now should worship him. But David, because he's experienced this grace, this power of God, even his posterity, it shall be told. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the coming generation, even those who have not yet been born. David is going haywire in the midst of his discouragement. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for you, yes. So his forsakenness means that we can be comforted. But Jesus didn't just die. Do you realize that? He also resurrected so that this same spirit that we see, some of us, were re- I, understand, I know what we're thinking. Some of us are thinking this, rolling our eyes and thinking, well, this is David. Of course he's going to be this hero of faith. No, 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 no. No. Do you understand that when Jesus resurrected, that Jesus' spirit is alive in you? Not the spirit of David, but Jesus' spirit is in you. He is living in you. And yes, none of us have the strength to be able to look at the external chaos, to look at the internal discouragement and the wickedness and the evilness of our own hearts and walk right in and say, brothers and sisters, let's place our eyes on God. None of us have that power. Jesus has that power. And because he resurrected, his spirit is alive in us. And now we do. It's the Christ in us that enables us. Yes, we can commiserate with David. Yes, we can empathize with the sorrows and the mournings that we're experiencing. We should mourn as appropriate. But through it, because his spirit is living inside of us, we have the strength to rise above all of that and say, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what my life is going to look like. One thing I am know for certain, this God is worthy of your praise. You are afflicted. You are brokenhearted. I feel the same way. Yeah, I know that in my brokenness, what gives me joy is not focusing on how to fix that brokenness, but it's just beholding what a marvelous God He is. That He would sacrifice His one and only Son for me. The gospel converts us to be worshipful, not just to be comforted, but to be worshipful. So what do we do with a message like this? Um, you know, I do think we need some time with the Holy Spirit and to confess our sorrows. Just like David prayed, waffle back and forth. It's fine. Be honest. God, I feel like you've forsaken me. I feel like you're not putting up your end of the bargain. Pray those prayers. Waffle back and forth. Complain, vent. Do all the things. We see this in Psalm 22. But through it, allow the Spirit to minister to you and remind you of what Jesus has done and to give you the power to be able to be worshipful in the midst of your distress. I mean, that's definitely one way to respond. Another way to respond is this idea of worshipful being communal. And here I'm going to give some very, very specific, practical ways that we can respond to this message. And the first thing is, it's been brought to my attention that, um, you know, even though we're doing YouTube live streaming service and all of us are participating in this worship service really from the comforts of your home. You don't have to commute. You don't have to start the car. 
There's no traffic. You don't have to look for a parking spot. I mean, you're, you're at home, right? And it's literally just flick, just pushing a few buttons on your laptop or on your phone. But it's been brought to my attention that people are nonetheless consistently late to our worship services. And again, if you're a visitor, if you're a non-Christian, I'm just, we're just happy that you're joining us, if you're late or not. But in light of what I just shared on Psalm 22, worship is so important. Jesus died for you, not just so that you can feel comforted or so that you can have a nice ticket to heaven that you store in your back pocket. Jesus ultimately died for you so you can be worshipful, which includes Sunday worship service. I understand that life can get hectic and mornings can be chaotic, but really, I mean, we are streaming from our own homes. Praise time is incredibly important. God died for this so that he can hear his children proclaim his goodness and his character. How can we cheapen that by being late? No. Again, if you're a newcomer, if you're a visitor, we're just happy you're here. We want you to just experience the love of God. But for those of us who so-called are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can, that, that is, according to Psalm 22, according to the way the Bible talks about the gospel, that is outrageous. Uh, some other ways that we can respond to this message is, again, the communal emphasis. And here I just want to celebrate and encourage and affirm some of us, because in our community, it's incredible, because during this time, it's been difficult for many of us. But... I've heard it from your own lips. Some of you have been saying that you've never felt closer to God. You've never felt closer to church. You've never experienced community so real until this season. And I'm just going to showcase just some pictures and also play a, a short video of how some of the efforts that we've been doing and the ways we've been addressing what church is, how you can be a part of it so that you can experience what David experienced. You can experience what Jesus Christ ultimately paid for so that we can worship God in a communal setting. So here is, um, okay, so this is this last Sunday. These are some of the brothers that's, who have a passion for God's word, who have a passion for God's people and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been meeting um, and we have this uh, exercise multiple times a week where I go through the life cycle of a sermon. And I show them the different ways to prepare a sermon, all the things that I do. But it's not just for sermon preparation, but it's more about how can we handle God's word in a faithful way? How can we love people and be sensitive to them in a faithful way? And how can we ultimately be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We just began this, but it's been so encouraging. Uh, another thing that we do, uh, this is an order picture, but this is from... A morning prayer, some Monday morning. So we have something basically every day throughout the week, morning, afternoon, and evening. This is morning prayer, 7 a.m. This is our sister Gina, who has been leading us into morning prayer. I'm just so thankful for her heart. And if you know anything about what she's been going through, I'm sure she can resonate with Psalm 22 and the tension. But I see in her heart saying, you know what? Even though I'm experiencing this, I'm going to tell all my brothers and sisters to worship glorify, look to Jesus Christ. And the morning prayer has been great. Again, if you want to join us, 7 a.m. It's been a great way to start not only the day, but the entire week. 
Uh, this is our drop-ins, our workspace drop-in. And some of us have been asking what actually goes on in the workspace drop-in. And basically it's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's just an opportunity for you to study and to work in fellowship. So we are all pretty much focused on our own work study. Um, but if you just want to drop in, some people, they have a very critical meeting with the manager. They just drop in, they ask me for prayer, and then they leave. And that's fine. I love the fact that it's open door drop-in policy where if you just need to be productive with somebody, if you just want to vent and just receive prayer, then this is available Monday and Thursday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And this is another instance of communal worship. Uh, this is our Tuesday evening prayer. This is our worship drop-in. And I, the reason why I love this screenshot is, do you notice all the people who have muted themselves on video? And all this to say is, if you feel self-conscious, where you don't want to show your face, if you don't want to reveal your voice or even your name, that's fine. Log on anonymously, mute your video, mute your whatever. We're here on Tuesday nights to just pray. A lot of us are experiencing difficulties. And one of the best ways to channel that is through prayer. We're praying also for our community. We've been praying for all the prayer requests that have been coming through on Sunday service. Uh, and this is a screenshot of that. Uh, this is our Thursday night worship drop-in. And for the remaining of the summer, I'm really excited because we are now having our officers share their reflection on the Bible reading plan. This is our Deacon Sua who did this two weeks ago. And what she shared was so good for our small group, talking about the intimacy of God and how that leads us to repentance. Our small group had a wonderful time. And this is Deacon Sonny just from a few days ago. Such a timely reflection on his part where he talks about how we really need wisdom especially in this time. Not, glo not only globally, but personally, a lot of us are experiencing a lot of confusion in our lives. So what our brother Sonny shared, which is so encouraging and so timely. Uh, this is our um, marriage, marriage conference. So we're going through a virtual marriage conference and we talk about it uh, and we're able to fellowship. We have some newlyweds. Oh, by the way, uh, we're going to pray for Sam and Yejin who just had their third Baby, uh, born just yesterday or the day before. Um, I think the name is Emma. If that's wrong, then somebody please text me um, so that we're not praying for some random Emma. But yeah, we're going to pray for them. And we're also going to pray for other people who might be expecting as well within our community. Uh, and lastly, this is our officers meeting. Uh, we just had this yesterday. We have this once a month. And this is our time to be able to discuss and really talk about what God is doing in our community. And the reason why I highlight this is because, again, if you have any suggestions, if you have any complaints about our community, whatever, we meet at least once a month, and the dynamics of our teamwork is great, please let us know, and we would love to talk about these things in our officers' meeting so that we can actually respond to some of the changes. Maybe the Holy Spirit is placing an insight on your heart. We would love to hear that. But all this to say is these screenshots is, are evidences of how I have been experiencing and witnessing people who have the heart of Psalm 22. All of us are living busy lives. All of us are going through discouragement. But it's great that people nonetheless are choosing to worship God in this communal setting. Uh, I also have a video uh, prepared from our sister Sarah who um, is going to be spending the next three weeks at her home, Calgary. So I don't know if she's going to be able to participate in some of these things, but she has just been enjoying all of our online communal worship outlets. 
So if we can just play this one video, because if you think if you if you feel like I'm exaggerating or lying, or if these pictures are are Adobe Photoshopped or whatever, you can hear from her own lips uh, how beneficial this has been, and hopefully this can also be an encouragement for you as well. All right, uh, thank you, Sarah, for that um, and just for sharing your own personal experience. And I'm sure there are many other people who can also echo those sentiments as well. Uh, but just to wrap up the sermon, I just wanted to be able to offer ways to respond because I know that this idea of Jesus being the only one who should have been delivered but was the only one who was forsaken, like what do we do with that? You know, like it's kind of hard to apply in our lives. But according to Psalm 22, it's no coincidence that it ends with worship, and worship is communal. Uh, you hear David talk about the congregation over and over and over again, and um, you know we can't go into this now, but Psalm, that portion of Psalm 22 is actually quoted again by the New Testament writers, and it portrays Jesus as the ultimate worship leader who ushers all of us in to be able to worship God, again, in a communal setting. Um, so just as a brief recap, again, if it was a too long, didn't listen type of sermon, then here are just some four quick points to just crystallize and encapsulate all the things that we just shared. First is part of the Christian life is feeling God's distance. Uh, I wish this weren't the case, but there are many moments, like I mentioned, it feels too frequent and it feels too long, but there are seasons where God feels distant. But God is never really distant. Um, I mean, we can empathize with Psalm 22, but it's, never, it's not literal because he is always near and he answers every prayer. Like I mentioned, he answers your prayers, whether it's a yes, no, or maybe a wait, but God is always there. And the reason why we are guaranteed that God is always there is a third point. We are guaranteed this because Jesus Christ took the abandonment and the forsakenness that we deserved. And that's the idea that the only one who deserves deliverance is the only one who experienced forsakenness on our behalf. And he did this. Ultimately, Jesus Christ rose again so that we can worship. Worship, not comfort, is the solution to our sufferings, our discouragement, so on and so forth. So hopefully this little outline kind of recaptures and refocuses the things that we talked about. Uh, at this time, we're going to wrap it up. So if there are any questions, if there are any prayer requests, if there are any prayers, please, please text these away. I still remember the things that we prayed for a few weeks ago, that one family who's in mourning, um, that one individual who needs more reminder, and also praying for the world, for those who might now be a little bit more open to the gospel. So these prayer requests, these prayers, these questions are very helpful and things that we take very seriously. So please feel free to text these away. Uh, at this point, I am going to uh, 